from the campaign trail to the studio, Wesley Hunt continues the fight. Along with his brother, Rendon, they chronicle their family experience from slavery to West Point in four generations. Tackling the difficult conversations facing our country, they're on a mission to preserve the American dream. Buckle up and welcome aboard. You're in the hunt. I'm Wesley Hunt. I'm Rendon Hunt. And you're in the hunt. So for those of us, for those of you that have listened to us, you know, for the past, you know, couple of weeks, you will probably know very quickly that West Point, the United States Military Academy at West Point is near and dear to our hearts. Uh, I think it helped forge just to become the people that we are today. It taught us about discipline. It taught us about service. But I kind of want to talk about how we got there and what weekend that really solidified it for us. So my sister is a West Point graduate, class of 1993, and she went on to do 23 years of active old duty grad. service. Old grad. She's we call old, them an old, she's an old grad. grad. She's a legit old grad. A L- little seasoned. Yes. A legit old grad. Old grad. <laughs> And I'm West Point class of 04, and my brother, Rendon, is West Point class of 2005. Best class that ever went to West Point. Second best class that ever went to West Point. <laughs> Clearly, second best class that ever went to West Point. Better than 93? Yeah, 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 but not better than, but not better than 04. Man, be careful. My 93 guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> you still are the defenders of the free. <laughs> Something like that, yeah, whatever. <laughs> And uh, there's a pretty big gap between Dahanya, our oldest sister, and the two of us, about 10 years, roughly. And so when Dahanya first went to West Point, she was young. She was 17 years old. And over the years, we made multiple trips to West Point. And when you're, you know, young, impressionable, 7, 8, 9, 10-year-old boys, West Point has a lasting impact on you. But one of the flagship weekends at West Point is Ring Weekend. And here's why. This is the weekend where it's a banquet, family, friends, dates, everybody ascends onto West Point's campus. And this is the first time that you get your West Point class ring. A little history about West Point. West Point was the first um, university to ever have class rings. A lot of people don't know that. And the fanfare is like nothing. 1835. 1835. It's the first, first school to ever have class rings. Yeah. And the fanfare is so nothing. So all the like others are copycats. Yeah, even A&M. <laughs> I, love they, I love my Aggies. Love my Aggies. But Your rings are cool. Hey, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Shake and bake. And bake. And bake. <laughs> uh, and so... This weekend is a culmination of three years at West Point where, obviously, you've missed out on summers. You've done a lot of training. You've taken a lot of hard hours in class. And to get your ring means that the end is near. It's your last year at West Point. It is you are now a firstie. It's firstie privilege. I got my ring, and I'm getting ready to go serve my country when this year is over. And it is a hallmark weekend for that. So Rennan and I had the honor and the privilege of going to my sister's ring weekend. I guess we're like 11, 12 years old. And one thing that always stuck out to us growing up was what was called the ring poop. (laughs) Okay. The ring poop is when you've donned your freshly minted West Point ring in a ceremony. You are now a firstie and you're walking back to the barracks. And all the poor plebes that have 
three more years to go are looking at you at the finish line and they're like man <laughs> and you look good you have you your you good. have your whites and on your india whites india whites red sash red sash <sighs> pristine white hat oh. you look the best that you look your entire time at West Park. Oh, yes and you're getting ready to go to dinner after you got your ring mm -hmm. that's why i actually went to the navy i mean after wearing those white uniforms i wanted to just wear them more you would say something ridiculous <laughs> like that <laughs> or wonderful pristine <laughs> Pure. You want to say something. <laughs> you would. That's what did, huh? It was the India Whites. It, it's India you, Whites. You want to wear India Whites yeah, every day, yeah. huh? Except not with black shoes, with white shoes. White shoes. shoes. Yeah. You know? Like, it, it makes, it's easier to clean that way. Matches more. <laughs> Coordinates. <laughs> and and when you're a plea, there's this, there's this, what would you call it? Like a chant, a chorus, a... It's a poem. It's a poem yeah, of sorts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and, it, and it's called ring poop. So as you're going from getting your ring, and you're moving through the barracks, and you just have it on, and you're with your family, and everybody else, and your date to get ready to go to that dinner, a gaggle of plebes <laughs> would ascend on the upperclassmen walking through Central and North area, and and, and they would get together about 10 to 15, get on their knees, look at you, and they would say this. Oh my God, sir, or ma'am, what a beautiful ring. What a crass mass of brass and glass. What a cold mold of rolled gold. What a cool jewel you got from your school. See how it sparkles and shines. May I touch it? May I touch it, please, sir or ma'am? You missed one thing. What? It must have cost you a it fortune. It must have cost you a fortune. Yes. <laughs> they act, and it did at the time. It did. <laughs> I was like, my net worth into this ring. <laughs> may I touch it? May I touch it, please, sir or ma'am? And you would think about it for a second. And like Queen Elizabeth, you would then <laughs> be dramatic about it. It just place your hand out. And they would all touch it, and they would go, oh, <laughs> the light, the light. It's beautiful. Oh, my God. And I remember behind you walking around, and she couldn't go 10 feet without this happening over and over and over and over again. And it left a lasting impression on me, Rendon. Which is actually, for Dahanya, it's endearment, right? Yes. Because you're about to go on liberty, or you're about to be able to spend time with your family, and it's this double-edged joke. The plebes have really been gearing up to do this, and they're excited to get people that they like. Yes. Right? So you come together to get the person that you like to hold them up, and you're frustrated, but at the same time, you're like, this is really awesome. <laughs> and they really like me, and they care enough to, to, to engage me in that way. Yes. And so it's and really— And more you got stopped— it was the more the it was more the underclassmen liked you. Yeah, they respected you. Yeah, right. And Dahangi got stopped every two feet all the time because <laughs> that's who she is all the time. And it leaves a lasting impression on you because at some point in your life, you have this carrot in front of you that's dangled in front of you. That's at some point, I want that done for me because it means that I went through three years of a very rigorous course, and this is my reward. But it's also fun being a plebe 
and doing it to the upperclassmen. Yeah. It's like a changing of the guard. It's aspirational. It's what you want to be and see one day. Yeah. And then when your ring weekend comes, <laughs> you know, plebes, you know what time it is. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Let's talk about work and reward. We talked about freedom isn't free and neither, and neither is coffee a few episodes ago. But the reason why it's so gratifying actually is less to do about the police groveling, although that's wonderful and fantastic. Yeah. But it has more to do with, think about Beast Barracks, the first summer that you left early, right after you graduated high school, when all your friends are hanging out, you got two weeks off of summer and you're at West Point for Beast training. Think about that second summer. Well, you don't get to come home. You get to come home for two weeks, but then you're back at Camp Buckner. Think about that third summer where you're doing some kind of military school, some kind of training, CTLT, et cetera. Think about all you sacrificed throughout the year. Think about all the parades you had to go march in. Think about all the mandatory formations that you went to. Think about the difference of an experience that you had at West Point and all the work that went into you getting that ring and news flash to the world that's how life works it wasn't easy and there's this perspective because I think we were very fortunate to have a short-term life lifelong goal because mm -hmm. at the time when you're 17 it's a lifelong goal because your life's only 17 years at that point but to have that perspective of having a lifelong goal, after spending that time at West Point, I wasn't 100% sure that I was going to go to West Point. But I knew how honorable and amazing of a place that it was. Yeah. And I knew that regardless of where I ended up going, that I wanted to be good enough to get into West Point, to be considered. Yeah. And one of the things that happened to me along that journey is... I had at the time exercise-induced asthma. So when I applied to West Point the first time, I didn't get in. I got rejected from West Point because I had had an asthma attack when I was a junior in high school, and that was a factor that eliminated me from being considered for West Point. Long story short, I ended up getting a waiver to get in and taking some tests in, in San Antonio to get that done on my breathing, but it was really crazy. You think about one thing, how that can change your life yeah. and your goals. And for us, I think we were really fortunate to have a trailblazer of a sister who went through that and showed us what it was like to do something that was, quite frankly, fantastic. And then to have that goal that we set out for, really for all of our formative years. Mm-hmm. So many of the things I wish that I could say, so many of the things that I did, whether it be in, in high school, I had a great example in you in terms of doing student council, being a captain of a team and things of that sort. I had that great example. What you're saying is you'd be nothing without me. Just no, That's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. That's, that's not. Uh, that's not uh, nah, nah. That's like, uh, nah. Yes, you did. Uh, yes, you did. It's not, it's not what I heard. I didn't, didn't, that's not where I was going with that. Uh, but you know, to have you as an example on those fronts and then to hang as an example of what is possible, because quite frankly, 
being captain of a team, being on student council, that was the standard in the Hunt household. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that that was the standard in our household is because that was the West Point standard. Yeah. That's what you do if you want to get into schools like West Point. It is so important to have role models. It is so important to have those kind of aspirational ideas. Outside of trying to be a performer or trying to be an athlete or, you know, the real or trying to be an actor, you know, the real fun, sexy things, the notion of growing up in an environment to where we saw other avenues of success and rather that be in the military and rather that be in in, in getting an excellent education and making sure that you stayed buckled down or just being a leader in society and and manifesting itself in ways for where we are starting a podcast and I'm running for for, for public office. All of these things were introduced to us that were kind of outside of what is kind of pitched to young people today yes. and what the definition of success is supposed to be. Yeah. And this is where I think our society has got to do a better job of broadening what success means and putting those kinds of successes on the forefront and to stop glorifying, you know, being an athlete. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with being an athlete. It's great. It's, yeah. it's awesome yeah. if you're if you are that good. If you are the top one percent of the top one percent of the top one percent, yeah. then that's kudos to you. And if that's with anything, I mean, hell, if you're that good at table tennis, that's awesome. Yep, anything. If you're that good, you you should pursue it. But I think a lot of people fall short because they don't understand that, but man, there's so many other things that you can do that can make you even more wildly successful you can ever imagine. Yes. I had a wonderful conversation with my wife yesterday, as our conversations tend to be wonderful conversations because she is beautiful, smart. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm back. (laughs) Good job. Thanks. Appreciate that. Good job. Appreciate that. But we were having a conversation about potential for kids and people reaching their full potential and being pushed to reach their full potential. And the conversation started out as we're talking about, okay, how much would you push a kid to do X, Y, Z? How can you get them to reach potential, yada, yada, yada? And in the middle of the conversation, I stepped back and I said, I don't think you can push anybody to reach their full potential. Yeah. Because in order to reach your full potential, it has to come from within. Now, you can push somebody to meet in a direction. 75% of their potential when otherwise they would have met 50% of it. But look, at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about the difference between Michael Jordan and somebody who's 6'6", 205 pounds with a 40-inch vertical that is doing slam dunk contests in the D-League. Mm-hmm. We're comparing that to the greatest player of all time because there have been guys like that that have come up that have been that profile that just didn't make it mm-hmm. because they had to have what it takes – from within. Mm -hmm. So as you talk about even pushing people and what it's exposing people to things where they take it and run with it. And that's Mm -hmm. the story of our country, right? The story of our country is people who choose to be engineers and the best at what they do. I'm reading a book right now. I read a lot of books. 
David McCullough's allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. I'm still not sure you can read. <laughs> allegedly. Prove it. <laughs> it's it's David McCullough's biography on <clears throat> the Wright brothers. And I tell you, well, first of all, I connect to that biography so much because of their relationship as brothers. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's incredible because, like, we are way sharper than the Wright brothers, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's sarcasm. (laughs) That's sarcasm. (laughs) I couldn't take their model of a flying machine. With a mechanic with me, and then build it. No, <laughs> I couldn't do it. What? But it's it's fascinating because when you talk about potential and reaching your full potential and having a passion and what does success look like, these are two guys who are up in Dayton, Ohio, and they had a bike shop, yeah. and they decided that they wanted to invent a flying machine. And everybody laughed at him, and all these governments were throwing money at different people that that were doing it way more expensively and less effectively. And they had the ingenuity, the ingenuity that I believe is American ingenuity. It's the same ingenuity we saw, you know, 35 years later in in, in World War II. But you have this group that— these two brothers that come together and are able to do something that changed the course— of history. And they're able to do something that changed the course of history, not because they were checking boxes and doing what everybody else told them to. It's because they followed their passion. Yes. They didn't have college degrees. They didn't go to school in order to learn how to do this. They had something that's better than that. They had drive and ingenuity. And grit. And grit. And grit. Another wonderful book, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. Now, that, now that's a superb book Yeah, that I would encourage goes, anybody. Goes through your class at, at, at West Point yep. is, is part of the book. The idea of the best, what is this? The best class. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> like, what are, what are the intangibles that it takes to be yeah. great? And for those who have not read the book, the premise of it is, from a research standpoint, how do you determine whether somebody can go to West Point and succeed? Yeah. It's not always the SAT it's scores. Not. It's not always the physical fitness. It's not. And her idea that there's grit, it's this. It's, it's amorphous. It, it is so hard to explain. That, that we're trying to quantify. It's, can't do it. It's, it's this grit. Can't do it. And I think it's really easy for us as a culture to see this in athletics. And let's talk. Let's talk about athletics too, because the, the goat. Let's talk about Tom Brady here for a second. T. Brady. Yeah, let's talk about the goat here. Yeah. Bah. Goat. Bah. How long have I been saying Tom Brady's a goat? For a long time, and I'll give you that. You've been saying that for a long time. Yeah. Called it. Yeah, you did. You've been saying it for a long time. I was on Peyton Manning, and you, you are, you were correct. He, he is the goat, and I'm willing to give that. Consider that. Let, but let me ho- also explain to our audience how I got there. I was not a Tom Brady bandwagon fan at first. Now I am a huge Tom Brady bandwagon fan. I mean, the guy's incredible. In 2007, I lived in San Diego, okay, and was having a very good time living in San Diego. And I was in the Navy out there, and the the Chargers had a fantastic run. Phillip Rivers was lighting the league on fire. LaDainian Tomlinson was the best offensive player in the league, and Sean Merriman was the best defensive player in the league. Lights out. He was incredible, like the most intimidating defensive player I've ever seen. That year, 
they went 14 and two. Okay, and shouldn't have lost the two games that they lost. Marty Schottenheimer was the coach. It looked like it was the Chargers' year to not only go to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. Well, when I lived in San Diego, I went to quite a few Chargers games. Okay. And the reason I went to quite a few Chargers games is my buddy Magic, he lived across the street from the stadium. Okay. So I would go over to his place pregame, have some drinks, hang out. And then I would start walking over to the stadium right after the kickoff. Why did I do this? Because I didn't have tickets. <laughs> so the scalpers would see me coming, and I would literally have in my pocket a $20 bill and a $100 bill. Okay? <laughs> this is all I had. Okay? I would come up. If the tickets were really, really good, hey, I'll give you 100 but they better be like 50-yard line pretty low. The tickets were okay, I give you a 20 spot for it. This was my strategy throughout the whole season. And it worked great because by the time the kickoff happens, the scalpers just have to cut their losses. They got to make something off of it, right? Well, this also worked in the playoffs. That year that they went 14 and 2, they played at home the New England Patriots, Tom Brady and crew. And I was at the game in my Ladanian Tomlinson jersey. And I watched him beat one of the best teams that I've ever seen. And I watched him down in the way that he, I, it was a $100 bill seat for that, was who I had really good seats. So I was very close and could see the way that he was interacting. And I'm watching this and I'm just like, wow, this guy is incredible. So he has all the intangibles. So he's slow. He has good arm strength, not great arm strength. Yeah. So what seventh round draft pick? Yeah. And, and, and the reason Six why or seventh, yeah. And the reason why he's such a late round draft pick is because he didn't have the measurables, but he had the intangibles. Grit. He had grit. <clears throat> he had drive. He had motivation. You can't you can't you can't account for any of this stuff. No. And when he got his opportunity, he kicked the door down after Drew Bledsoe got hurt, and he never looked back. And he became the greatest quarterback of all time. And now he's under some hot water right now. He's, he's, he's in some hot water. And he's in some hot water because he's one is like uh, lake water like, with lake, yachts. Wait a <laughs> I like he's not in the water. He's on the boat that's in the water. And the Lombardi Trophy could have maybe ended up in the water. Yeah. So he's in lake water. You get it? Yeah. He's in boat water. And, uh, because this is a sixth championship. I lost count, man. I, yeah, I know. It's his it's seventh. It's his seventh. I'm sorry. It's like it's like Thanos plus one. <laughs> like, how do you do that? How do you have all the Infinity Stones and three dragons plus one? <laughs> all the Infinity Stones and, and three, three dragons. dragons. Game over. And the head coach is Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> like, how do you lose this? Right? Can't lose, man. And so never lost. So this guy. So this guy in this last one after. So so basically, you, you know, the, the, he wins all these championships. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. If you're in New England, I don't know how you let this guy go. Whatever he wants, you you you, you pay him. But he's like, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. If I'm persona non grata, I'll go to a different team, bring Gronk out of retirement, 
and I'll just win without you. A different team in a franchise that has nowhere near the storied history that your franchise. Not has. even close. Right. <laughs> it's it, it's Tampa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tampa. Okay. So you go to Tampa. <laughs> go to Tampa. You win a championship. And I want what I want to get to is this didn't happen overnight. No. We're seeing him celebrate and we're seeing he and Gronk and he has seven seven rings and he's had two knee surgeries Whoa, since he's been on, on Tampa Bay's on, team. Come on. Come on. He's two. had setbacks. Yeah. He's had serious setbacks. He got drafted late round. After week he, Wesley, it not even not even from the beginning. After week seven or eight. And once again, I mean, I drink the Tom Brady Kool-Aid, okay? Yeah. After week seven and eight, when everybody is like, Oh yeah, see, I, I thought they were gonna be so good. I thought they were gonna win a Super Bowl, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, guys, <laughs> relax, relax. Let the cake bake. Relax. <laughs> let the cake bake. Relax. You know, and then in the end of the season, adding a key playmaker in Antonio Brown, yeah. who Nobody else could figure out how to make it work, and the guy scores a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So, Rendon, I think about the path that it took for him to get this seventh ring. Hmm. And the reason why he's in Lake Water is because there are a few people that are upset about him because he may have had one or two or 15 too many adult beverages, and he may or may not have been on a boat with the Lombardi Trophy throwing it from yacht to yacht, okay? I saw that and I thought, kudos to you. Now, I think about how excited I was when I got my ring from West Point. I may or may not have been sober that night. I don't know. I probably wasn't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> the point I'm making is it, the point I'm making it is is this. How how do you criticize that? This guy has literally been forged in fire. He's celebrating. He's having a good time. And you know what? He worked his butt off, and he earned it. Did you do anything illegal? No. Well, then what's the problem? What's your problem? And, and, and I've said— It's and, just haters. Look, back, to your, back to your hate tax theory. It's a hate tax, man. The better you are, the more your hate you're going to get. And I've said this about, about Tom Brady for a really long time. What is there not to like about this guy? Mm-hmm. Okay. His hair's too perfect. He's a very handsome guy. He's married to a very beautiful woman, has a beautiful family. He's a stand-up person in his community. On all accounts, he's a wonderful player in the locker room. He's a team player. player. He plays whatever game he needs to play for the team to win. Doesn't have to be a volume passer. He does what he needs to do to win. And it's like, so what what don't we like about him? It's called haters, Rendon. They don't like his success. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I could bring up Deflategate, but I'm an Astros fan. <laughs> let's, be clear about, let's, let's be clear about my Astros. So I have a double standard. No, well, everybody, put, everybody was doing it. Put that out there. <laughs> everybody was doing it. Because yeah. that's the first thing. That's the first comment that's going to be in our feed. Well, what's not to like? Well, of course it's not to like that he's a cheater. Well, well uh, okay. I'm an Astros fan, so we, oh, give cheating, me something else. Cheating. So, so here's also a thing about our Astros, and that is they had a better record. Our world champion, <laughs> yes. 2017 17. World Series winning Astros. Yes, get it right, because yeah. they won it. 
Yeah. That's it. Can't take it away. Can't take it away from them. You know what? And I would say the same thing about Reggie Bush, too. It's like, you guys can say USC didn't win those national championships. I was watching those games. They won those national championships. <laughs> I bet the athletic department, department didn't refund those tickets. I bet they didn't. <laughs> that happened. Or all that revenue they made yeah. from that. Yes, they didn't do that. But all the hard work that went into that is just, it, it is a testament to what you talk about and even being like the American dream and American ingenuity. Like Tom Brady really embodies that. Yeah. And he did it the right way. And he's very successful in what he does. That translates, Rendon, into so many different facets yes, of does. so many different lives that so many people are doing in our society today. Yes, it does. And this also made me think as I was talking about my beloved San Diego Chargers, Superchargers. Wherever I live, I'm going to root for the home team. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are you know not a lot gets me ruffled up, but what does get me ruffled up is when you have haters of the home team that live in the city, right? It's like Houstonians who are like, "Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan." Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't mind if you like the Cowboys, but don't, but but don't, don't crap on your local yeah, team. Don't, don't do that because when the local team is doing well, businesses are doing better. We do well. The local economy is doing better. So, like, I I get it. This I'm not saying, hey, it has to be your favorite team because you live there. But there's something to living in a community and supporting the things that uphold that community. And I know not everybody views it like that, but I do. So the reason why I was a card-carrying Chargers fan is because I live there, right? And it is a smaller community. And when I think about that, there's some there's a story that comes up. I talked a little bit about LaDainian Tomlinson. I think LaDainian Tomlinson, top five running back that's ever played the game. True. Remember when he played against West Point your freshman year, TCU versus West Point, and he had like a million yards. It's embarrassing. <laughs> nobody could, it nobody embar- could tackle him. It was embarrassing. The two worst things it was embarrassing. that were in our era, and, and they were a little bit before our Randy, time. Randy Moss? Randy Moss, yeah. when he hurdled that cadet, yeah. and that was on SportsCenter indefinitely. Yeah. indefinitely. Still is. Still is. And LaDainian Tomlinson, literally, nobody could tackle him. Well, I had a lot of respect for LaDainian Tomlinson, and I certainly believe that he was a a fantastic football player, but didn't know a whole lot about him as a person. Well, while I was living in San Diego, there was this place called The Sidebar that was downtown. It was a place that I frequented. Well, I had a good friend who was having a birthday party there, okay? So I'm like, okay, cool, you know, I'll get ready. It was a late-night birthday party, no big deal. So as you might know about the city of San Diego, it is not the most diverse city in the country by any stretch of the imagination. And I go to the sidebar for this birthday party, and I'm looking around, and I see Antonio Gates and Antonio Cromartie and Quentin Jammer. I see all these Chargers players that are just rolling in the sidebar, right? So I'm kind of like, okay, this is interesting. So what did I do? I got right behind them and walked in because I'm a decently built black guy in San Diego. They and, and they didn't want to insult me by saying, hey, man, who are you? <laughs> you, so know, you know who I am. You know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Who are you? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> so I literally just walked in. You can see this, this look on the bouncer's face. He's kind of like, mm. <laughs> not too sure about that. <laughs> I mean, you cut up, but you ain't that good. <laughs> so, so I walk in, and... 
And it was really funny because my buddy was having the party at this place, but didn't realize that they were having a Chargers party. So the party actually got bounced. So I'm just in there hanging out. There's all these players around, clearly uh, lots of women around and things of this sort. So we're just kind of hanging out and stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm at this bar and I go up to get a drink and LaDainian Tomlinson is at the bar with his wife. Okay, and this is before they had any children. And his wife goes to the restroom. And I'm just sitting here just like, hey, how's it going? You know, like acting like I'm supposed to be there. It's like, hey, LT. And, and he's kind of an introverted guy anyway. But it's like, hey. You're on my team. Yeah. 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 It's like, like, what are you doing mm, here? Nah. <laughs> mm, Practice squad? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay. And, and then I see Antonio Gates and, and I make just the ultimate faux pas. I'm like, hey, man, like, good job on my fantasy team. And he's just like. Loser. <laughs> right. What a loser. What a loser. <laughs> so, so his wife goes to, to get a drink or, or uh, goes to the bathroom while, while he's standing at the bar. And two extremely attractive women walk up and they're like, hey, like, um, can we give you our number? Like, we really like you. Want to hang out with you? And LT looked at those two girls and he said, did you not just see my wife right here? Yeah. Good dude. And I was like, wow. Good dude. That's cool. I went and bought his jersey the next day. That's cool. I went and bought his jersey the next day. That's cool. And there's a piece of this when you talk about greatness and a great mentality, and it's very possible to be great at one thing in life but miserable at other things that's that's actually it's like the story of most people it's actually right normal like there's always there's the dichotomy there's always trade-offs yeah, yeah. cosmic power itty bitty lisbon's face yeah a little latin there huh. yeah they, everybody has these trade-offs right and it was interesting to see with ladanian tomlinson you've always heard so much about his work ethic and for me it was refreshing to see an individual that has the personal and professional work ethic and discipline to get to where he's gotten to. Yeah. You know, when you see these guys, since we're talking about athletes, and you see these guys that have had this uber success, I, I, I like the guys that <clears throat> do their best to pay it forward to. One of my favorite stories about athletes is Warwick Dunn, mm. who, who basically built homes for how many families, I don't know, countless families, um, that couldn't afford it, and he used his fame and used his wealth to pay it forward in that regard. It's a, quite a remarkable story, what, he, what he's done. And it brings me to a clip that I saw on social media the other day, and it's a clip of Shaquille O'Neal in a jewelry store. This yeah. just happened like a few days ago. Yeah. So Shaquille O'Neal, Big Shaq, Shaq yeah. Diesel. Shaq Diesel. <laughs> Shaq Diesel. This is what I do. Okay, Kenny. Okay, okay, okay Chuck. Okay, Chuck. That's why you'll never be a champion, Chuck. That's why you'll never be a champion, Chuck. Nice bow tie, Ernie. It's the worst. Nice bow tie, Ernie. That's why you'll never be a champion, Chuck. Get on over there, big fella. Shaq is in a jewelry shop, and there's a there's a young man in there buying an engagement ring. Okay, and and I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to look at somebody and tell you know you know their means, but but if you're Shaq 
and you look at this young guy here. I mean, he looked like he was in his 20s. I don't know how old he was, but he was, he was a young guy. He was in there buying an engagement ring. Shaq walked past him and was like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing, big fella? Is, <laughs> okay, okay. This is not exactly how it went, but this is how it went in my head. <laughs> Which is crazy because I've, I've only I've met Shaq one time. Miss, and yeah. by betting, it's like shaking his hand when his fingers were, were at my elbow. But yeah. for a person like that to kind of creep up on you, yeah, that's a big deal. So you look, and he had a, he, his was funny. He had a mask on, right? But Shaq ain't hiding from anybody. Okay, you're not hiding, Shaq. I mean, it's like it's like Shrek walking around. Like you're not, you're not you know exactly who that Enormous is. Enormous human being. And so this is how it goes in my head. And he taps this guy, this guy on the shoulder, and goes, "How you doing, big fella?" And the guy looks at him and goes, "Oh my God, it's Shaq." Yeah, that's me, Shaq. Shaq Diesel. Shaq Diesel. What are you doing? Buying an engagement ring for my wife, for, for, for my future wife. Are you in love with her? I love her with all my heart. You do? Good. The ring's on me. Shaq pulled out his black card and paid for that engagement ring. Incredible. And then tapped the guy on the shoulder and walked away. Made my week. Yeah. Made my week. Because this is somebody that literally is trying to do something as small as that just to make the a slight difference in somebody's life. Yes. Do you know what he just did for that kid? Oh, oh. Yeah, I have a colleague who I've done quite a bit of work with, and he has a saying that I love when he's talking about leaders and executives. And it's a term of endearment that he uses. He says, this individual, man or woman, understands the shadow that they cast on others. And I think about that statement oftentimes. For somebody, J.J. Watt, as a Houstonian, is a wonderful example of that. He understands that with fame comes great privilege, but with it also comes great responsibility, too. It does. And he understands the shadow that he can cast on a city. Not just on the field, but off the field as well. You know, I went to the event last night. It was for it was for it was for Dan Crenshaw, mm-hmm. and you talk about somebody that's cast a pretty big shadow. Can, can you imagine, over the course of the past four years, what he has done for veterans to get involved civically? Mm. Just just the example of a Navy SEAL wounded in combat, visibly wounded in combat. Yeah. Obviously, he can't hide that at all. Yeah. Running for office, putting himself out there. I don't care what your political leanings are. But the notion of him continuing his service yes. and what that has done for an exa- as an example, not just to people like me, but to people and veterans all across the country. The example that he has set for people to get up and c- to continue to figure out ways to serve post-military, it's been remarkable. And it's been difficult for him, too. Yeah. And there's this, this, this broader piece of the, the tagline of representation matters— this is the same thing that, that we've talked a lot about with Megan and Harry. Yeah. Right? If there's an opportunity to be able to change and engage within a system and to be able to have an impact and be impactful within a system, grab onto it. Don't run away from it. Or, or don't blow it up. Yeah. I mean, look, we have been so many times in our lives, there have been so many frustrations about being 
the only black person and then when they come to you well what's the perspective of black people and you're like hey guys i don't speak on behalf of black america i can give you my perspective but i don't speak on behalf of black america we are not monolithic too by the way no do you know how many organizations that i've been in and stayed in because i realized how important it was for me for others to see what i was doing right. in the organization and accepting that responsibility is, is is a big responsibility to accept, and not everybody wants to do that. No, and that's fine if you don't want to do it. We, yeah, you can't, if you don't want to do you... it, own that, too. Mm-hmm. Own that. It was important being a black officer in the Navy. It was so important being on that ship and being able to mentor young black men and women sailors yeah. to a- aspirationally see, wow, it is possible to be an offer. It's po- officer. It's possible for me to wear khaki. It's so important to be able to see that. And this is what we've always talked about with somebody like Barack Obama, about the opportunity to see that this is what is possible. There are a generation of people that look like us who see what's possible when we thought it was possible before, but it wasn't 100% real. So do you know what keeps me up at night every night again, Rendon? And that is... Your less than a year old daughter? The <laughs> Dude, she's, she sleeps. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, maybe sometime. Well, you asked me to guess. Like, <laughs> uh, that's my first guess. <laughs> you know, it, it is when we were, when I was running, uh, my team and I, we were kind of putting together some, you know, clips and some films and trying to, you know, figure out ways to kind of be provocative. And, and you and I went through this exercise of trying to find out if there's ever been a person of color mm. that came from any academy. Yeah, any of them. Any of them. So yeah. that that is West Point. That's the Naval Academy. That is the Air Force Academy. That's the Coast Guard Academy. That's the Merchant Marine Academy. We are All talking about the premier leadership institutions of the world. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Okay. <laughs> right? All the academies. Are we just grabbing, man. We're just All trying to find academy. any of them. <laughs> Has there ever been an academy graduate that ever served in the halls of the Senate or in Congress? And the answer is no. No. And had I won my race— Never been a black academy grad. Never. Yeah. To ever serve in Congress or serve in the Senate. It hasn't happened. Yeah. And we got to change that. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to change that, Rendon, just because I'm black. I don't want to come back and make sure that I'm the first just because I'm black. I want to do it because of the reasons that you were just talking about right now. I feel like I owe it to those that came before me that didn't have the opportunities that I had that set us up for me to even be in this position. Yeah. You owe it to those that came before you, and you owe it to those that are coming. That are, I was just getting ready to say that. Last week, we talked about W.E.B. Du Bois. What about Frederick Douglass? What about Harriet Tubman? What about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? What about these people? Yes. They never had the opportunity. They could have never sat in this seat and do what we are doing right now and doing our own podcast. We owe it to them to further that agenda. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, know, you, left, you left one of my favorites out as well, Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, yeah. His book, I read a lot of books, Up From Slavery. Prove it. <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> no, no, you, you, don't. you do read a lot you of You can't books. read. Uh, <laughs> Up from Slavery yeah. it, it is excellent. One of the most incredible reads that I've ever read. Excellent. 
for sure. So this is kind of the fuel. And again, this is something that I've taken on as a, as a personal thing for me. Everybody doesn't have to do that. You know, it's no. carrying a lot of water for other people. But, but it's kind of to your point. Once it's done, once someone sees it, then we remove all excuses. And you and I have lived our lives in a business and we grew up in a house to where we remove all excuses. Yes. Stop with the excuses. Especially living in the world and living in an America that we have tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day. We have a responsibility to further that agenda. Yes. We need to stop thinking about reasons why we can't and begin to think Amen. about reasons why we can. Amen. Because you're absolutely right. There are so many people uh, before us who didn't have the opportunities that we're going to have. Hell, there's people after us who aren't going to have the opportunities that we have. You've we talked have. about it before. We had parent privilege, man. <sighs> Big time. We had parent privilege. There's, there's going to be a lot of people who need that that mentorship, who need to see somebody walk through those doors. Because they didn't have parent privilege. Yes. And there's also a piece of this, too, where it's so important not only for them to see you do that, but it's also important for those within our ecosystems to know that it's possible, too. Exactly. Rendon, that goes for all races, colors, creeds. Yes. Everyone needs to see it's possible. To know that it's possible. You see, and Rendon, here's, and here's also how we believe and what we think fundamentally. I know it's possible. Yes. Just because it hasn't been done, it doesn't mean it's not possible. No. And so it takes trailblazers like that to understand that sometimes you got to be first. Yeah. And usually in combat, first one through the door, first one that gets shot. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I understand yeah, that. Yeah. And that comes along. There's a responsibility that there's comes a, along with it. There's that. a responsibility that comes along with it. In, in the words of, of one of my favorite philosophers, 50 Cent, Curtis Jackson, <laughs> if I can't do it, homie, oh, it, it can't be it done. It can't be done. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next slide? <laughs> I'm going to let the champagne bottle pop. I'm going to take it to the top. Sure, I can make you hot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, at, no, that's a great point, point You got to have You got to have the bravado where you walk in and you say, hey, <laughs> maybe I'm a fail, but look, what I'm bringing to the table, but I, believe I can't I can do, do it, it, it can't, can't be, be done. done. Let's roll. Rendon, that's why, that's how change happens in this country. That's how change happens in the world. I think about Dr. Martin Luther King all, often. I really do, too. I do. I, I, I just, I don't, I really do not like a lot of the um, Jim Crow labels that's being thrown around here oh right now, haphazardly, without having any kind of understanding about what Jim Crow really did. So you're going to make me go there. Um, I have, I, you know, Brandon, I... So... Mm. We're throwing around Jim Crow right now. Yeah, I tell you, speaking of Crow, I think that there's a place where our, our president probably is going to eat a little Crow. On this one. Okay. 
and he should. When you, I, I get the the Georgia voting laws. We've talked about this before. I think that you win by having the best candidates, and you enable people to vote for the best candidates, and you inspire them to go vote, and you inspire. Like, that that's how you that's how you win elections. You get an ID, and, you stand in line. Just because I'm a Republican doesn't mean that I'm trying to get people to stop voting. Like, no, no I want to be, a, a, I want to have the best candidate, so people go out and vote, and they they get it done, right? Yes. When our president equated Georgia's voting laws to Jim Crow. It's ridiculous. I'm just like, <laughs> you're joking me. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's malarkey. That's malarkey. Who says? By the way, hold on. By the way, come on, man. Who says malarkey? That's malarkey. <laughs> I will say, I'll give him props for for saying malarkey because if you have something that old school that you still say, the confidence to actually do that, I'm, I, I, I'll give I don't him props know for that. I, I think it's. I don't think it's confidence. I just think it's senile. <laughs> That's malarkey. That's malarkey. <laughs> but really, to equate this, I, I just say, like, I. I I think that, once again, that is so damaging, but this has been what we've talked about for so long. I know that my parents grew up in New Orleans and went to 100% segregated schools. I cannot equate my struggle or what I've been through or any of the struggles that I've had with what they went through because that was a whole new level of racism. Do you know what's worse about what Joe Biden said, too? You know what's worse? The worst thing about it is he's 78 years old. He's he lived through it. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. He lived through it. And this is like this is like when you talk to and it goes back to even running running up against a lot of these professional athletes and having conversations with them it's hilarious. It's like if I'm talking to Ladanian Tomlinson, I'm not going to tell him about JV ninth grade when I had a 200-yard game. <laughs> this guy is one of the greatest running backs of all time. He had a bunch of those, man. <laughs> like I'm not going to I mean that have was a, every game for yeah, him. <laughs> I'm going to have a conversation with him. And we're sitting in a in a position where to your point, you have a a person who lived through that. Yeah. And you want to talk about, in my opinion, irresponsible labeling. And sowing the seeds of division. That's irresponsible. It is. And, and I get it. I get it. Maybe, maybe Corn Pop was a bad dude. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Apparently. He had, yeah, a, he had, he a, had rusty a bat chain. with the uh, rust around. He had a rusty chain. Should. I got it. Corn Pop. Corn Pop was a bad dude, okay? <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I mean, I understand. Like the leg hair is blonde, and, 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 and the kids are color. I get, yeah. I, I get. Hey, hey, I hear you. I, I, I get hear all you. that. I, I get you, all Joe. That. But, but I tell you what, man. When you equate things, I mean, <laughs> how, how many, how many public figures, talking heads, get in trouble every day for comparing something to the Holocaust? The Holocaust. Yes. How many? Like guys, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't do it. Come up, come up with another. There's metaphor. so many other things. Come up Don't with something it. else. Don't do that. It's not the Holocaust. Trust me. Yeah. Stop. Like stop. I mean, I've been to Israel twice, and I've been to Yad Vashem twice, which is the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Stop it. Yeah. Stop. Stop it. Stop. Don't ever stop. Don't ever compare anything to Holocaust. Stop yeah, it. Stop it. Stop calling people Hitler. Just stop stop it. it. Stop it. Take that. Like no, <laughs> like, shouldn't be part of your vocabulary. Remove that from. from stop f- it. Remove that from your vernacular. Stop, Stop it. it. You know I am not a fan of of cancel culture at all. But if you're t- if you're stupid enough to walk into that, yeah. there's some natural selection that's happening there. Yes. Stupid. You have you have no concept of history. You have no idea what you're talking about. And and the president of the United States continuing to use these kinds of analogies in 2021, where you and I are sitting here right now, and we didn't even live it, Rendon, but we know better. And I have enough respect. 
I have enough respect than to literally slap the people in the face that actually went through that. Yeah. That's just disrespectful to them. Yeah. And it's also, quite frankly, I think it's 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 disrespectful to where our country has come. Oh my! It's disrespectful and, to and, the and, progress and, we've and made and how far we've come. Man, right? And and no country is perfect. We haven't gotten to the finish line. Guess what? Here's here's the deep dark secret. There is no there finish is line. There is no line. Okay. There is no line. There is no finish line. You just keep on progressing the best you can. Okay. When you when you think about what we talked about with athletes in all these all these high level executives in sports, they're always trying to draft the next Tom Brady. Do you know why they're not going to draft the next Tom Brady? Because there isn't one. There isn't one. There is no spoon. There is no spoon. There is one of our favorite parts in the movie mate in the there movie The no Matrix. Spoon. We had a little ball kid who looks like like a, a younger powder. Remember that movie Powder? <laughs> <laughs> he looked like a young, young version, <laughs> young version of Powder. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You remember that movie? Yeah, I do remember Powder. And he's sitting there, and he's bending these spoons. And Neo comes up to him and does a typical Keanu Reeves, like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. How do you, how do you? Hey, uh, Trin. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what is? Hey. So he comes up to the kid, and he's he's bending these spoons, and it's he, a good Keanu. And the kid, thank you, thank you. <laughs> There's a new Bill and Ted out as well, too. <laughs> so uh, the kid is bending these spoons. And he says, hey, <coughs> the secret is there is no spoon. Yeah. He's like, these people have it all wrong. They're trying to bend the spoon, but the secret is there is no spoon. So the people who drafted Tom Brady, Preach. they weren't trying to draft Tom Brady. <sighs> they were trying to get somebody that had skills. So quit looking for the next XYZ. Look for the person. And hone what you have. And I've told you, we've, we've had this conversation a million times, and perhaps it's a bit bravado of me and, and, and almost obnoxious of me. I think the biggest insult that you, you see can those pants? give. <laughs> <laughs> I said bravado, not salmon. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, the, the thing that, that has always insulted me is if anybody says, hey, you're the next, insert it. That's, that's the worst thing you can do to somebody. I'm not the next anything. I'm the first and only Rendon Hunt. That's right. That's it. There is no... There is Even no coming other. behind you. Oh, my gosh, you're just like Wesley. No. No, I'm not. I'm not nearly as good looking, you know? Wesley won't wear salmon pants. <laughs> he has this obsession with socks. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. It's got bro, this. Bro, it's totally it's weird. Like, it's like it's like in this in our culture, this sock thing. Like it's necessary. But you're right. You're right. There's, there'll never be another year, Rendon. And and nor should people try to live up to it. And you set the bar pretty high, specifically even for your kids. And what I love about the way you raise your kids, though, is that y you just encourage them to do the best they can in anything that they do. I love it. In fact, I'm glad you were a parent first. I think I might have messed that up. <laughs> um, but it's no, easy. it's easy to mess. It's up. easy to mess up. It's like like they are they are their own individual person. They are they they are not defined by you. They are defined by who they are and their individuality. Don't make them be something that they're not. Yeah. You and it's just great. And I'm doing the same thing for my kids. Yeah. I, I just I see strengths. I acknowledge what they are. I give encouragement. Let them chart their own path. If you really want to. Not that anybody would seek out to be depressed, but I tell you, one of the most depressing things for me, and I go to a lot of high school sports events, 
okay because we live right around the the high school and they're really good at everything Tompkins High School they all of a sudden have just turned into this powerhouse of a school and everything we're gonna go see the baseball team next week 20 and 3 number two in the district after Katie High but fantastic team and we go to a lot of their events so I'm spending a lot of time around these parents that are watching and as much as I enjoy the events it is gut-wrenching for me to see parents want things more than their kids to yeah. see parents like yelling and screaming it and it happens at, it happens at every level it's i mean crazy. Geez, my my son is in is is in coach pitch 4 year old t-ball and you see people flipping out yeah and like the craziest thing for me when i see something like that is i know this is nuts everybody around knows this is nuts and those people are willing to act that way knowing that somebody is watching them yeah Golly, imagine what that kid has to deal with at home. Yeah. That's not the way to do it. That was this whole thing with COVID with making sure that schools are open. Yeah. Right? Because we're all, we're looking at society and saying, hey, like, you know, if it's not safe, don't send these kids to school, blah, 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 blah. Some of these kids don't have anywhere better to be. It's funny, a lot of the people, school is protection for many of these funny, children. A lot of people making this arguments actually send their kids to private school. Yes, and their kids were in, have been in school for the entire for the entire year. I know this to be a fact. Yes, some some of these kids that's where they got their only meal. <laughs> COVID. What about what about nutrition? Yes. <laughs> Yes. It's nice to be able to have one parent stay at home. Well, what about when you only have one parent and that person works a double shift? And you're leaving kids in elementary school and in middle school home alone all day? For the whole year? Oh, okay. Okay. Elementary school. There's things worse than COVID. Seven-year-olds. Seven-year-olds. Stay in the house and don't do anything because okay. mom has to do something to pay rent. I, I, I got to... We lost this, Rendon. Some real struggles, man. We lost. That's that's real struggle. Some real struggles. Well, that's real struggle. That this is that that's the struggle that we were talking about either too. Not being able to call up Oprah and do an interview in your fourteen million dollar house. We're talking about people that have to figure out what they're going to do with their seven year old child. Yeah. Problems. Yeah. Not my dad cut me off. As a grown man. Come on. No, like like real issues. Like I can't make rent. What I hope that people understand and take from this, and that is the intangibles of life are always was ultimately most prevalent. It's great to be smart. Lots of smart people out there. Talent. There's so much talent out there. There is. So much talent out there. Yeah. But it's always going to be that intangible drive that's always going to permeate in the long term. Let's cultivate that. Yeah. Let's strengthen that. Let's create a culture and a society that celebrates that. Yes. And we're all going to be better off. Yes, I'll, let you, I'll let you take us out. And remember, smiles are contagious. So make someone's day. Thank you. Thank you.